Hey there, it's Joe Fold, and welcome to How to Win a Campaign. This week, we're talking to Bo Schuff, the executive director of DC Vote. Bo has a wealth of experience, including his work as a campaign manager, an organizer, a chief of staff, and consultant. He's done it all. At DC Vote, he works for a fairer America, where residents of the nation's capital are treated as first-class citizens. This will be evidenced by the District of Columbia actually getting statehood, which we're excited about and Bo's been working on for years. You know, one of the things I'd love to do in this intro is really talk about how other people talk about Bo. And in like looking at the internet, I saw this amazing quote that I wanted to read, which is, fundamentally, Bo is driven by a powerful sense of justice and fairness for all. This comes through in his work ethic, and he inspires those around him to work hard. He is unmatched in his ability to challenge people he manages and handle difficult decisions and situations with ease and humor. I could go on, it even goes longer, but Bo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So let's start out. How did you end up at DC Vote? That's an amazing question. You know, I, I One of the, the biggest challenges I've ever had is the people who say, what do you want to be doing in five years? Um, because I've never once been able to answer that question because I usually don't know. And that's true of DC Vote as well, how I got here. As you mentioned, I, I did a lot of work in the marriage movement. I did a fair bit of work consulting around the country. Um, and that helped me build a network of, of people. And I, I went to a baseball game, uh, a Nationals game, with a friend of mine as part of that network who asked me what I was doing next, and I had no idea. And he then basically got on the phone, and by the seventh inning stretch, I was interviewing with the now mayor of the District of Columbia uh, to become her campaign manager, honestly, while we were sitting at a Nats game. And that campaign, running the mayor's campaign in 2014, really opened my eyes to the district in ways that I didn't even know possible. And I learned so much more about the district than I ever thought I knew. And that led me to really examine the issue of statehood and representation and equality here in the district. And it made it really obvious that this was an issue I wanted to work on. Uh, I got really lucky in that one of the members of the board took me to lunch to sort of see what I thought about the organization. And, and, and then I told him, uh, which is probably not totally what he expected, but it worked in my favor in that suddenly I think our conversation was starting out that I was going to be on the board and it ended up that I was going to be on the staff. And so I joined back in 2016 uh, as the director of advocacy and our executive director left shortly thereafter to work for the Clinton campaign. Um, and I became executive director about a year later. Uh, and I've been working on it now nonstop since. But it's basically an amalgam of relationships and networking that, that led me to be where I am now. So let's talk about this job and then we'll go on to sort of other, other things. But talk about the biggest challenge that you work to solve in this job. The biggest challenge, honestly, I call it herding sheepdogs, right? We've all heard the expression herding cats where there's hundreds of different creatures going all kinds of different directions. And we have a little bit of that, but really what we have are really well-intentioned, well-connected and well-placed and smart organizers, sheepdogs. Uh, and I consider myself one too, which is why I go ahead and use that word. And our one of our missions at DC Vote is to keep all of those different collectives working in a similar direction. There are very few organizations that work on statehood or solely on voting rights or solely on, and, and but we want them involved. And so we have all these different sort of teams of influence and teams of engagement. And one of our hardest things is to keep all those moving in the same direction so that we can move the agenda of the organization and more importantly, the, the agenda of the mission forward. So, all right, you work on DC statehood and this is 
we get questions about this often, right? You have a one-issue organization. I do. Right? You're really focused on one issue. How do you prevent mission creep in a one-issue organization? So backing up a little bit to why I thought this issue was really important and what brought me here is that every single issue that anyone cares about, literally, is impacted by our lack of representation here in the district, right? And we can get into all of them. I come out of the marriage movement. You can't talk about LGBTQ equality and ignore the fact that in in the early 80s and 90s, the district was prevented from needle exchange programs that ended up killing Americans. You can't talk, you can't be part of the choice community and the choice movement and not talk about the fact that DC cannot use local funds to pay for low-income abortion services for women. You can't talk about the environmental community or be part of it until you realize that we don't have control over our own watershed and that the Anacosta River is not completely in our control, even though it's completely within our borders. Every single issue that people in the greater progressive sphere, in the political sphere, whatever side you're on, comes to play in DC. And so it's really hard for me to have mission drift because all of my missions are together. So it's more about how do I get them all packaged into this one issue and how do I convince people and let them see that statehood impacts all the things they care about, whether they live in Missouri or on Virginia Avenue. And I get that. And again, this is an issue both you and I have worked on for a long time. But what I'll also say is I know people come to you and say, hey, Bo, why don't you work on this? And we're going to give you funding to work on this. How do you take it back to this is all we do? We're focused on this. Yeah. How do you get your board around that? Because this is an issue that many groups deal with. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mission drift is key for a lot of uh, a lot of entities. Uh, I, I am lucky because we do intersect, and so there are there are within every mission there are pieces where I can get involved with other stuff without drifting away from my mission. And the other most important thing is that you have to be confident enough in the work that you're doing and in your mission to say no to other people's. Not because you're dissing that issue, but because they're the ones running that issue and I'm running this issue and we're going to have commonality and we're going to have intersection, but there's going to be times we have to differ. And if we have respect with each other, uh, you know, I go back to the stop, collaborate and listen right? The, the cheesy 80s song lyrics, because that's the biggest thing is I have to be willing to listen to other organizations and what they need from us and find the places that we can collaborate together without drifting away from what I want to do. Perfect example, ranked choice voting, right? I adore ranked choice voting. I think it's really important. And I think we're going to move towards it In, to the point one of my board members works for one of the lead organizations on ranked choice voting. DC vote does not have a position on ranked choice voting, even though votes in our name even though it impacts the elections we're going to work on. But it's not part of equality for the District of Columbia. It's not part of statehood for the District of Columbia. So we've said no uh, and won't be able to endorse that bill as it comes uh, to the District Council. Um, So it's just one example. of it. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to talk about voting reform together as an overall package and why democracy reform includes both our pieces and how do we come together and work together on those pieces. Did you know this from day one, though? Were you this focused where you're like, I mean, when you took over, and I, I remember this a little bit, but when you took over, right, and became executive director of this advocacy, then executive director, there were definitely times where the mission creep was there. Did you know, were there a moment where you stepped up to the precipice of that? Were like, all right, now I've learned this lesson? Or did you just walk in the door and like, all right, I got it, I know it, and this is it? You know, the one that, that is presently the biggest challenge and that I've, that I've struggled with the most is filibuster reform. 
in that it is going to directly impact the ability for us to pass legislation, uh, our legislation, the statehood bill. And we, uh, so that's the one that we keep tiptoeing uh, towards or over maybe every once in a while the line on. Uh, but it's important that we bring together people who differ on that issue, uh, who can still support statehood. Uh, and that's why it is a line that we have to walk pretty quickly. So, yeah, there are definitely times that, that we get up near it. Again, luckily, most of the other issues I can figure out how to talk about in a statehood fashion. Yeah, HR1 is a good example. Just passed the House. We wanted to talk about it. There's a lot of stuff in that bill that we don't have a position on. But statehood is in HR1. So I could be all gangbusters with support HR1 because it talks about statehood. Um, so we also have to find those little niches where there is the overlap and there is the intersection and just focus on those. But part of this, bow as well, is you've spent a lot of time working on the message of the organization, understanding where that is and being able to pivot back to that, Yeah, right? which is awesome. So my question is, if you're an organization starting out that is dealing with mission creep, that is having these issues, what advice would you give an executive director or a board member working at an organization on how to stay as focused as you are? I mean, you joined that organization, whether it's a board member or an executive director or communication staff, whatever reason, you joined it because you believed in their mission, right? Not because you needed, hopefully not, because you just needed a job and this one was convenient. Um, and it sort of aligned, but you believe in the mission of the organization. And so if you believe in the admission of the organization, get other people to do the same thing and bring them along with you. And that strengthens your cause and strengthens your work. You weaken your own work by diluting it across issue areas. And while you can bring people into a coalition across issue areas, bringing them into your organization by bringing in their issue as one of yours, doesn't necessarily always serve you. There may be times that you do want to expand your mission. Uh, DC Vote did the same exact thing. Five years ago, we were not a statehood organization. We were a voting rights organization. And we worked on a myriad of different things related to trying to get pieces and parts. And so we definitely clarified and narrowed our mission in that sense to we are going to lead with statehood. There are other pieces that we're going to also work on, but we're going to. this is going to be our first talking point and the other pieces come after. So, all right, I, I'm not letting go of this. I got one, a couple more, couple more questions on it, right? Because it's so important and what you're doing is so hard. So this organization is bigger than you and you have volunteers, you have board members. How do you make sure that they are as on message as you are? Absolutely. The hardest thing in any of this is saying no. And it's especially hard to say no to people who are giving something to you whether that there is their time as a board member or a volunteer or their cash as a board member or a volunteer, whatever it is, they're giving it to you. And that's supposed to be the relationship that I want everything that they have. But nothing is free. And if you come to me with a $100 donation, but also say, I need you to endorse X, I have to be strong enough to say no. I cannot drift away from that. And that's really challenging. And it's especially really challenging for an organization that's just starting. And that $100 determines whether or not they pay for the copier that month or whatever it is. Those are hard decisions to make, but you have to be comfortable and, and passionate enough within your mission to say no. And it is absolutely the hardest thing day in and day out. And then getting people to understand and know the message of an organization so it's clear and in that clear, concise pitch that you did? How do you make sure that other members of the organization know how to do that? Um, well, a lot of hope. Uh, <laughs> and as far as training goes, we've done you know a series of media trainings, not like 
how to pitch media, but really how to talk to press. Because if you can talk to press, you can talk to the public, right? That's the harder of the two levels. So we brought in folks to do media trainings for us. Um, it's a lot about having conversations and being willing to tweak somebody's language as they're speaking. One example I can give, we don't use the word citizen to refer to people. We use resident or constituent or Americans or something that's inclusive. Um, because there are people who live in the district who are not citizens and they deserve representation too. So that's one of our core values is, is that we are inclusive as we can. And so I often have to have conversations with board members, new staff, whatever. We've got, uh, I got somebody writing some emails for me and I've had conversations already twice with them that we don't use the word citizens. Um, citizens are important and they're the ones who are going to vote, but everybody deserves representation. So we just adopted it as one of our key values and teach it back all the time. One other issue with DC statehood is that it- it has been a long haul, right? And there are some folks out there that will be like, hey, it's impossible, can't happen. How do you stay positive and focused on an issue that has been worked on before you, right? Has taken a lot of time. How do you keep that energy up? 220 years to be exact, um, almost to the day. I find that the most exciting part of all of it. All of my jobs have been to put myself out of a job. And if I'm good, this is no different. Um, I don't want to retire from this job because I'm like done working. I want to retire from this specific job because we're done with the job. Uh, and that's a big motivator. I'll be completely honest. It's a big motivator to be one of only 37 coalitions to have ever made a state ever. Right. That's kind of exciting. Um, so there's really a lot of, and I think it matters. It is such an issue of racial justice, of racism, uh, and there's so many more intersections. It's an issue of homophobia. It's an issue of of classism. Like it's so entwined with everything that the more I learn about it, um, the more passionate I get about it. The burnout isn't a thing because I keep seeing these new pieces of, of this puzzle and communities that I didn't know were affected by it. And I, I just talked to a woman this morning who uh, a family member has been in five different prisons uh, over a 10-year um, sentence. I, the person, you know, did some not some great stuff, but they've been moved to five different prisons from Arizona to Illinois because they got convicted here in the district and we don't have our own criminal justice system. And I've heard that as theory before, but never actually met somebody before. So even just this morning, five, five years into my job, I'm picking up a new nuance to it. Um, and that's just as, that's just fun. I mean, it's just not the fact that somebody's in prison for 10 years, but just the learning and the knowledge and the expansion of, of how we can impact people's lives. And rewarding. You get to make this impact and also... That the, this is a hard issue and you get the chance to make that change. It's Yeah. I mean, June 26th of last year, we passed the bill through the House for the first time in history, like 219 years of trying, and, and we finally got it done. I don't think, you know, we did anything amazing. We just put together a strategy that worked this time. And we're going to try and do it twice more, once more through the House and once through the Senate. And we'll see what happens. But it's a decent day when you get to make history. <laughs> like, there aren't there aren't a lot of those, and in the, especially in the middle of a pandemic, like it was it was a decent day. Um, so I like having decent days, and I want to do some more of them. Like it's it's kind of that simple. Um, we've seen some victories, and we've seen some challenges, and we're and we're going to figure them out. I hope, and um, that's pretty exciting. And if folks want to get involved and help, how do they do that? Uh, they can go to one of two places. The best place to go to help is showupfordc.com which is show up the number four dc.com. That's our action page. It's where you can 
get sample tweets and learn about the eight events that are coming up on Tuesday for the hearing and join our watch party, send a letter, whatever you want to do. If you need to learn more about the issue, go to dcvote.com, our organizational website. And that's got the history, uh, all of our archives, and, and some actions as well. But but sort of action or, or learning, you can go to either one of those two places. They're both great. All right. And so as you're engaging people and they come to your website, do you have a favorite tactic that you use to engage them, to connect them with lawmakers? What are you doing right now that you think other nonprofits and advocacy organizations could learn from? I don't know that I, I have a tactic that I would necessarily say the public could engage with, which is hard, I know. But one of my favorite tactics is to change what I call a micro atmosphere or exploit people's bubbles, right? Everybody lives in a bubble. And that's true of influencers and lawmakers as well. At some level, we all have our own bubble. And, and so we did this tactic in Portland, Maine a number of years back. I don't remember wh- who the target was. I think it was a congressperson at that time. And we couldn't get through to them on an environmental issue, even in Maine, which is usually really good on environmental stuff. Um, And so we changed their staff's atmosphere by making it look like everyone was talking about environmental issues everywhere they went in their town. So their coffee shop, their dry cleaner, their walk to work from their apartment, everywhere got covered with posters and bumper stickers and flyers. And and we put stuff in the local um, alternative newspaper And we combine that with phone calls and emails and stuff, so the traditional stuff. But as the staff of the senator walked, or congressperson, whoever it was, walked to and from their house or or commuted, all they saw everywhere was environment. So in their bubble and in their world, environment became the most important issue. And they thought everybody that was talking about it. And you can do that even now digitally. This was pre-Twitter, for sure. I think it was probably pre-Facebook. But um, it's... Now it's a little bit easier because you can target people on Twitter and on Facebook and on social media based on their subscribers. You cre- people now create their own bubbles. It's not just where you live, um, and you can target those bubbles and get in there and get make it look like everybody they interact with is is is, uh, is talking about this issue. And is that like through power mapping? Give us a little bit more of the wonky explanation of digging into that. When we did it in Portland, it was literal mapping. Like I knew where their staff lived and I, because we had access to a voter roll and there aren't that many people with the same name in Portland, Maine. Not stalking because we never talked to anybody, but now it's power mapping. It is who are the biggest followers of that account on Twitter or who, you know, who does Senator whoever follow and, and respect on the social media channels? You know, for example, right now, somebody mentioned to me that Lady Gaga was born in and grew up in West Virginia. So everybody on the planet is presently targeting Joe Manchin. Can we get Lady Gaga to pick five issues she's going to go off with? And will that have an impact on, on Joe Manchin? That kind of relationship um, building and, and, and figuring out who are the influencers of the targets, not just sort of how do you change the general public's perception? I think that's some of the, some of the stuff that, that sometimes gets done is let's run an ad campaign to change people's minds, but it's not actually impacting the elected official you're after. Um, and really trying to figure out what is that person's motivation, because we all have internal motivations that we're all after. So what is going to actually move Joe Manchin or whoever is the target of now isn't necessarily $2 million ad buy in West Virginia. might be, um, but taking the time to not just automatically assume that you know what's going to work. Do you have a favorite campaign tool that you like to use for advocacy? Um, my latest favorite campaign tool is built off the network that I was talking about. The most successful thing I think in my career has been networking. 
And the most important thing in networking is not transactional relationships between me and someone else. It's my ability to network two unrelated people together to help them each benefit. And lately that has translated itself in a digital way to um, these private groups in uh, Slack or in Signal or in any of these other sort of chat entities. And all they do is exist to help us uh, uh, amplify each other's work. And being part of those, and most importantly, helping to curate those, helping to bring other people in that are going to help amplify that's the, the nature of that group has um, been the most impactful tool I've got lately. Um, and it takes, it's not just like sign up and get an account. It takes some work to, to build it, but it is super, super efficient and super effective and, and really impactful. And it's hard because you have to learn the culture of that channel or that group to make it effective, but it's well worth the investment of time. And it's a great place to meet people I would have never met otherwise, yep. um, who have been not only helpful, but one of the reasons I originally got into this work is I like meeting people, mm-hmm. right? And I like learning people more even than just meeting them. And being an organizer and being in the field, especially that has always been my my biggest takeaway is the people I get to meet from such diverse backgrounds and, and from everywhere in the country. And especially in COVID era where I couldn't get on a plane for a year, it's been one year exactly since my last flight. Um, these channels have sort of filled in that in that we can network across borders and across boundaries and, and really interact with people and learn them more than just, please retweet this. So if you could give someone starting their career or frankly, go back in time and give yourself advice starting their career, what would it be? What advice would you give yourself if you were starting back out and doing this work? Pithy answer is don't sell your favorite car just to move to Iowa because you have to own an American car because I still regret that decision on a daily basis. But um, the biggest one is, is you're not always right even when you are. And that's really hard for people to accept sometimes. Like, And there are definitely times I'm right, but it makes more sense for me to be wrong in the moment because the other person needs the win of whatever debate I'm in more, or they need to do it their way, some reason more than I need to do it my way. It's really a hard thing to do, but it is absolutely invaluable to be able to step back and step out of your own ego for a bit and let somebody else be in charge or be the win or make the decisions. And it's especially hard when you're starting out because you're really trying to establish yourself and your your own thought pattern and your own ability to critical think but part of that needs to include like letting somebody else have it now and again. Uh, and I think that was one of the harder lessons for me to learn, and, but also on the same side, one of the more important. Awesome. Can you recommend a book or resource if someone wants to learn more about advocacy, what to do or what not to do, any kind of resource you'd recommend? I'm going to go with two. I'm going to go with one related to my issue because it relates to every other issue. So you might as well read it. And that is Chocolate City, which is an amazing history of D.C. uh, And will really frame for people. And I'm always going to go back to statehood. You know this. And really will frame for people how D.C. statehood is a racial justice issue and why people should care about it more than they already do. Uh, And my absolute number one best portrayal of grassroots advocacy is the movie Footloose. Uh, Not the remake but the original uh, with Kevin Bacon. If you do not study all of the lessons of the movie Footloose, you will have left information on the table because he absolutely from ground up builds a grassroots advocacy campaign and wins. 
And then my favorite part of it, if you haven't, uh, spoiler alert for folks who haven't learned it, is he doesn't win how he thinks he's going to win. Winning looks different at the end than it does at the beginning, but he achieves the goals. And I, that's one of the most important pieces of the grassroots advocacy legacy. Uh, and it absolutely teaches it in that movie. So if you haven't watched Footloose in 20 years, go watch it. It's probably on one of the 900 channels. Uh, you are the first person who has referenced Footloose in this podcast. Congratulations. I, I'm going to get you some small red boots that you could put on your desk. But um, listen, Bo, this has been a pleasure to have this conversation. Tell us one more time how folks can get involved. Uh, to get involved, show up for, that's the number four, dc.com, or head to dcvote.org. And actually, the dcvote.org is about to get a makeover, so tune in, because it'll be fun to watch it change, like literally in the next probably 48 hours. Awesome. Well, Bo, thanks again. Absolutely. I'm glad we finally got it put together. <laughs> yeah, it's great having you on the show. Yep, it was good to see you as well. Absolutely. All right. 